Hello and welcome to the ANA Marketing Futures Podcast, member of the ANA Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mike Burbridge. A jack of all trades, a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. Our guest today is an author, CEO, futurist, and most recently, late night talk show host. Joseph Jaffe is a one-man tour de force, and his latest venture is the live streaming variety show, Joseph Jaffe is Not Famous, a show about hope, positivity, and optimism, and marketing if there's any time left. Joseph and I discussed his new show, The Creator Economy, live streaming is the future of entertainment and more in part one of this very special two-part series. Let's start the show. All right, folks, we are back in the ANA Marketing Futures podcast virtual studio with a very, very special guest, Joseph Jaffe. Thank you so much for uh, taking some time out of your busy day to be a guest on the pod. Much appreciated, my man. There is no other place I would rather be than here with you right now. That That is, uh, yeah, just warms the heart. I appreciate that. Um, let's dive in. We've got a lot to talk about. We've got miles to go before we sleep. But let's set a baseline uh, for anybody out there who's so out of the know that they don't know who you are. Uh, let them know a little bit about yourself and uh, how your journey led you to becoming a late night talk show host. Yes. So those are the lucky people. I always say the people that don't know who I am, you know, they've been, they've been spared until just now. Um, I now describe myself uh, in terms of what I call BP and AP before pandemic and after pandemic that that has been the the transformation and the um, it's not even a pivot. It's more like a, a complete uh, a tear in the fabric of, of, of my you know, my hero's journey, which I'm using a phrase that I actually heard from my guest this week, uh, because the hero's journey can be tragic as well. I, I, uh, I'm a marketer. I started my career working for a QSR called Nando's Chicken Land, five years, third, third marketing employee in the company's history, moved to the US in 97, worked for a number of, uh, of ad agencies. I always say, but don't hold that against me. Um, and then after, <laughs> after I was liberated from Madison Avenue, um, I, I became uh, an author. Um, I've written five books from Life After the 32nd Spot through to Built to Suck, uh, which was kind of weirdly prophetic. Uh, not that that should be a, a surprise because that's always how I built my career, trying to figure out what comes next um, and, and create a bridge between the present and the future, as opposed to a futurist, you know, which, which I'm not. But the bridge between the present and the future has always been my sweet spot. But that book came out at the beginning of 2019, talking about the inevitable demise of the corporation uh, and, and how to save it. And um, I'll, I'll kind of put a pin in that because in case we address that uh, later. Um, but then, you know, as a keynote speaker, uh, as an author, um, as someone who, who made his, his money being a consultant uh, and, you know, living out of a suitcase, uh, suddenly that suitcase started collecting cobwebs because the cupboard was bare and um mm -hmm. and without even realizing or knowing um i i began this this journey from what began as a hey let me just do a facebook live which is interesting because i was barely on facebook until the pandemic hit to using zoom to discovering a piece of software called Streamyard, um to the birth of corona tv a show about hope, positivity, and optimism. And if there's time left over, a little bit of marketing to 
bringing my sister on the show, you know, on the show air quotes, because I said, you've got an interesting story as an entrepreneur herself. You should come and tell that story to 260 guests later, including Philip Kotler, Seth Godin, Tom Peters, Robin DeAngelo, James Rollins, Jamal Mashburn, Bob Leardis, you know, no one more famous than Bob Leardis to rebranding. I think I'm, I think I know that guy. Exactly. To rebranding uh, and relaunching the show yesterday. And, and you know what, if you go and look at my profile now across the board, it says talk show host. That is who mm -hmm. I am. That is who I've become. Kevin Kelly talks about the becoming. This is my, I'm living the pivot. I'm living the becoming. I'm a, a talk show host and I've never been happy in my life. That's amazing. That's just incredible. I mean, like, I think 2020 had an indelible mark on pretty much every living person on the planet, but just to hear how thoroughly uh, your kind of caterpillar to butterfly transformation was, um, if, if you don't and mind. Can I, and can I tell oh, you, please. and can I tell you something that, that I found out? I, look, I, I haven't confirmed this because, because I can't speak caterpillar or butterfly, but apparently, and this is what I learned from one of my guests, when a caterpillar spins the cocoon, you know, or the, or, or the chrysalis process, it actually believes it's going to die. So it has not only embraced its mortality, but it realizes it's the end. It has no idea that it's that it is going to become a butterfly. And when it becomes the butterfly, it has no uh, memory or recollection of ever being a caterpillar. And I just found that to be so beautiful, you know, as an analogy in terms of the world and the life that we lead, and, and all this uncertainty and unknown. So when you mentioned that, I had to just give you that little anecdote. That's so cool. Um, and wow, it really takes any anybody trying to use that as a, a tired analogy, like they really got it. That's incredible. And thank you for sharing. Um, but I would love to talk about the program where you are talking to guests that give you those kind of uh, awesome little fun facts. Uh, you went into a little bit, but what was the impetus besides cabin fever for Corona TV and how did you scale it like that? I mean, it, it, that is really something to behold 260. I would have to imagine in the last what, 15 months, maybe. Um, how does that happen? You know, the, the answer for everything is almost uh, one episode at a time, you know, like, how do you scale intimacy one smile at a time? It's, 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 you know, it's not just baby steps, it's steps, it's continuous steps that combined, there's a parlay with respect to what I call the new superpower, which is endurance. In fact, my, my mantra or my motto now is love what you do, be true to yourself and stay the course. And so on one hand, um, I heard a piece of advice very early, which is if you're going to become a streamer, if you're going to start a streaming show, if you're not prepared to commit to it for two years without any hesitation or any doubt, then stop now. Mm -hmm. And that actually liberated me because suddenly I was like, I don't care about views and downloads and clicks and, and all these ridiculous short-term metrics. I'm just going to per perfect my craft and become a really, really good host. Um, and, uh, and, and that is predicated on the fact that I really, really, really was not a good host because how could I be, what, what right, you know, did I have to even be doing this? So 
it's funny, this week, this very week, um, I started, I was trying to impress Mark Bombeck. Mark Bombeck is a, a screenwriter. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote Defending Jacob, which was the, uh, the mini series that was on Apple TV plus Chris Evans was in it. And I wanted to impress him. So I thought I would write a, like a 350 word monologue, which I called the seated soliloquy because I was seated and it was a soliloquy. It's very profound. And, uh, you know, I thought maybe he'd hire me for his next project, which he didn't, but that's okay. That was episode 38. I went back the other day and I, and I put all of these seated soliloquies in a Google doc. It's eight, hundred pages. I have never, I have, I have not missed a single seated soliloquy. Every single day in every show, I've written 400 words about hope, about perseverance, about justice, about the insurrection, about influence. Um, and it was funny because by the way, so, you know, I was talking to someone like a few months ago and I said, you know, the one thing that I really haven't done during this time is write because people like might write my next book. And they were like, are you kidding me? You've like written more than anyone in the world. You've got two or three books already written. So I think there's a very interesting kind of, you know, lattice or, or matrix, which is every day, a little bit, every day, another step, every day, a small step. But when you look at the body of work and the bigger picture, it's quite momentous. Yeah, I mean, goodness gracious, 800 pages, amazing. And I can only mm. imagine that's a treasure trove of um, just insights about the world, even about how you're, you were de- dealing with it throughout the whole lockdown. Well, the, 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 there are two interesting points. I mean, f- for me, uh, and I always said I was going to write this book and I was going to create a keynote. And I've actually delivered this a few times, which is how I reinvented myself during a global pandemic, and you can too. Uh, that's the important part. So, you know, whether it's general motivation or whether it's actually a message to a brand or to a corporation, actually saying, you know what, find that person inside your organization and let them start the show. Uh, and I know we'll talk about about that uh, maybe later as well about how everything becomes a show and how we can kind of, especially in this new work from home or this virtual um, reality, um, in a sense. But but you know. When I so so you have the how I reinvented myself during global pandemic and you can too but but really there's the power of the pivot you know the mm. fact that we we're still to, so many people are still talking about it and I've actually gotten a chance to live it and I live it every day and then I pivot the pivot and sometimes I pivot you know in the afternoon based on something I did in the morning and and let me tell you this is just you know failure after failure after failure. You know, and because uh, I won't allow myself to actually take compliment, um, because I'm 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 just fiercely committed to this idea of self improvement. But the other thing, you know, going back to it is what I realized is I don't have to be a content creator. I can actually be a content curator. Hmm. And when I look back now at these 260 um, interviews, the diversity of people, backgrounds, thoughts, thought leadership, perspective, how lucky am I? And, and amidst everything, you know, and I remember my, my wife came into my office after like episode 10, and she was like, seriously, you got to shut up. You talk <laughs> and talk 
and talk like I'm probably doing right now. And you talk too much and your questions are so long and verbose and it's all about you. And, and it was a seminal moment for me because I learned the hard way how to become an active listener. Mm. And so what, what happened from that moment is I would just be quiet and I would let my guests talk until they were done talking. And the weirdest thing happened, which is everyone started saying to me, you're such a good listener. And I was like, you know, like half like bile coming up in my throat and spitting out water. <laughs> I was like, me, I'm the worst listener in the world. Um, but it was like a transformational moment when you actually take the time to hear what other people have to say, rather than hearing the sound of your own voice. A hundred percent. That's really brings me back to the first, you know, five or 10 podcast episodes. The majority of editing I would do would be after I asked the question and felt the need to re-ask it in three other ways or help the person who was much smarter than I was in this area, answer it ahead of time. And yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm hopefully, hopefully slowly getting to the, just, you know, ask the question and, and, and shut and, up. And by the way, real direct straight line connection to brands and brand marketing and, and messaging, mm. because, because to this day, as the guy who wrote life after the 32nd spot, all we hear from brands is talk, 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 talk regardless of whether they actually have anything to say or anything compelling to say. And amidst everything, I've lived you know, this show through the beginning of COVID, through Black Lives Matter, through the murder of George Floyd, you know, through we're back you know, prematurely and we weren't, through the election, through come together, through you know, what was it, Old Navy with their red and blue you know, tone deaf um, I guess, uh, sweater or hoodie. And the one thing that we still haven't seen brands be able to do is actually say, we're listening and we're learning, you know? Mm -hmm. And and so it's a real analogy back into marketing in terms of what marketing becomes, how marketing evolves and how brands are built in this kind of new world that we're living in. Yeah, and I was about to say, like, that is not pandemic specific. Like, that's not going away. There are a lot of things that may slowly kind of, you know, the tide may reside a little bit. That is absolutely not going away. Expectations don't, you know, tend to soften over time. Uh, so that's just a great, uh, great little gem for our listeners. So I want to talk about living the pivot because, you know, it's not just the talk show host aspect. It's, you know, we had we've spoken on on earlier occasions and you kind of broke down where your kind of fundamental like the pillars of just how you're living life at the moment and i i love this because it's not just here are four things i think are very important and i'd like to tell everybody are very important that you're living each and every one of these and so it was uh, the creator economy streaming media cryptocurrency and diversity and inclusion uh, I want to just go, you know, point by point and, and, and drill down a little bit on all four, if you don't mind. Sure. Let's start with the creator economy and why, uh, while everybody knows what those words mean, what is the precise definition that, that you use when you're thinking about the creator economy? And by the way, it's, it's, it, you talk about like, you know, just this week, Joe Polizzi said he hates the term creator economy and he's using the phrase content entrepreneurs or content <laughs> entrepreneurship, which is great as well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this, 
the creator economy, if you actually just want to talk about the two words, um, it's hard not to talk about a creator, at least for me to talk about it without thinking about uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, without mm -hmm. thinking about what it is to be a creator that doesn't come from privilege or a creator that has never had a voice until now. Um, but but creators for me, and and again, a lot of people have said, you know, direct marketers are creators. I do not agree with that statement. I'm talking about creatives. I'm talking about artists. I'm talking about uh, people that can take something that did not exist and birth it and make it exist. Something, something, whether it is tangible or intangible. So whether you are a 3D printer or a coder or a painter um, or a, a purveyor of NFTs, um, but certainly singer, songwriter, um, you know, um, artist, comedian, etc. The creators that are out there right now are really this um, eclectic group um, of people that have chosen um, to to you know not to build and base their entire life on this craft. It is an art and it is a craft. It is not necessarily a science. It is not necessarily a discipline. And the economy mm. says that they should get compensated for it. And I am watching, one thing that I've been particularly good at in my career is being able to see where the puck is heading. Um, and right now, every single major platform out there is using the word creator, even LinkedIn, and they don't have a clue what they're talking about for the most part, <laughs> God bless them. Uh, but, but they're trying, right? Every one of these platforms is now trying to bring in compensation and tipping, and the word tipping, right? But, but in a world of OnlyFans and, and, and Patreon, um, you know, and, and now Cash App and, and Venmo and PayPal and Stripe, um, we're starting, and of course, you know, creator coins and cryptocurrency, um, for the first time, we can actually um, build an ecosystem into IP. It's an IP ecosystem for the most part. It is the ability mm. for people, and it's not just that, it's also subscription-based, what I would call micro payments. I'm trying to like almost dissect it or unpack it, deconstruct it for people that are watching. It's micro payments. It, it, it is the opposite of the world that that we that brands know, which is a top-down world. It is a bottom-up world. You know, I will go on uh, Clubhouse now, for example, or something else. Someone will send me a dollar, or five dollars, or ten dollars, um, or you know, and, and I know we'll talk about uh, a, a little medical procedure coming up in my life as well. Um, but but you know, I'm I received eighteen hundred dollars sent to me through that mechanism as well. So you see it happening now on many different levels. The creator economy is, as Victor Hugo said, there's nothing as powerful as an idea whose time has come. Mm. And, and, and this is the time now for the creators um, to be able to have an equal footing. And, and I will say one thing as well, which is it, it, you know, combined with the streaming era, which is one of my guests said, you see, the thing is, Joe, I mean, I remember these words so clearly. He said, um, all of these late night talk show hosts, they're descending into Wayne's world. Th th that was the word he used, the phrase. <laughs> but you guys, every day, you are building and getting better and, and, and raising your game and raising the bar. And at some point, you guys are all going to be on an equal footing. And so even with everyone returning into the studios, 
I'm not sure that the world wants that anymore. Mm-hmm. I think there's place for everyone, but I'm not sure that the world wants canned, artificial, overproduced, you know, laugh tracks, etc. What they want is is authenticity, what they want is humanity, what they want is vulnerability. Well, you talk about like owning the the means of production as a, a an advantage. You don't typically think of the entertainment industry in that. You think of like, you know, CPG and that's kind of going away, but that really is it, that that advantage is increasingly slipping away. Do you think it's a, a it's that the platforms are finally able to equip individual creators because you know the internet democratizing platforms and people being able to you know soundcloud get your song out there and really make something um is it just that uh platforms like twitch and patreon and OnlyFans are now you know they've reached scale they've reached uh seamless functionality is that a part of it or is it more like a cultural movement that creators you know, that this seems to be that their time. No, I think it's a great question. And also we have, we, we now have like access to. Uh... <laughs> oh my God, I need that. You know, so, so, so we have access, we have access to that. Um, but by the way, just a little, this is my favorite one, uh, which is, which is I can now basically uh, police myself when I, when, you know, if, if, uh, if a marketer really me off, or I want to say you might, then I now have the ability to actually <laughs> check myself. Um, but but no, I mean the, the the I think I think the point you made is exactly right, which is I did not go near video for two reasons. One is I have a face for radio. That joke Stop never it. gets old. Uh, and and but two, it was just too hard. And 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 what I've learned, and this is nothing new to the brands that are watching or listening, is that you know. It really is hard to create a 30-second spot. There I said it. And a 15-second spot. It is hard. The smaller the container that you have to force fit your idea into, the tougher it is to be able to tell a story and be succinct. And so it is much easier to actually produce a one-hour piece of video from start to finish than it is to edit a one-minute or three-minute highlight reel of said one hour as well. And so it was just impossible to do this before because of even things like download and upload uh, speeds, you know, sure. just the ability every day, my show is one and a half gigs. And, and I can upload that in about four minutes or five minutes. So it, the barrier to entry was, was insane before. And now all you have to do is hit the live button. This piece of software I use, StreamYard, I think I pay 50 bucks a month, you know, Mm -hmm. to be able to stream simultaneously to Periscope or slash Twitter, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, and and YouTube um, as well. And, and with all the bells and whistles and video and overlays and banners and logos and sound effects, um, et cetera. So um, it's now, you know, it's basically, to me, this is, this is true of a year ago, 10 years ago, a hundred years ago, for the most part, it certainly is true about startups. It's never been as easy as it is to start dot, 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 but to actually be graded it, to stay the course, to become the best in class 
to be the number one in your category, well, that requires incredible talent, unbelievable grit and resilience and perseverance, and a lot of luck uh, mm -hmm. as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, so I, I would say, I mean, having all of these platforms now, yes, of course, all of it helps uh, tremendously that you're always a button away from someone tipping you a buck, uh, et cetera. Um, but, but also the tools that we have um, are now kind of creating this, this tipping point. Yeah, absolutely. So for somebody who's, who's listening to this and they're like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm finally doing it. Like I'm going to start making videos of myself doing X, Y, Z. Like I want to jump in. Um, what, what's a piece of advice? I know you offered some great stuff about like, you know, be prepared for the long run or don't bother getting started. Uh, but do you have any other advice for somebody who might just be considering to take that first step right now? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it is literally uh, the mantra that I've followed uh, almost every step of of my career, which is Nike's slogan, right? Just do it, um, and you know, and 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 don't be so hard on yourself. Learn to forgive yourself. The beauty of a bad show is that it allows you to appreciate what is a good show, and it allows you to make those continuous improvements. Uh, I'll give another piece of it. I've got so much, uh, you know, in this swirling around in this pea brain. Um, Living the the year that you've had, I I'm mean, like, picking up things left and well, right. Well, and the and the second piece of advice is exactly what I'm what I'm doing. Write it down. Write mm -hmm. it down. As of today, and I'm not kidding. You know, I'm now starting a new uh, every single day with my show. I write down all my notes from the show, like all the highlights of what my guest said. Um, what the quote was, what the soliloquy was, et cetera, et cetera. But now what I'm starting to do is something I actually learned from Tim Ferriss, which is, which is journal. Be a, you need to journal this stuff. What went right? What sucked? You know, what could you have done better? Document these things um, so that you are better prepared and better aware as well. And so that it doesn't have to just be put down to your memory or to chance um, as well. And there's so many ways of doing it. I mean, you could, you could actually stream through, you know, one of these pieces of software, you can stream to a closed Facebook group, you know, or, or, uh, or an unlisted YouTube page, and then go back and watch yourself. And, and that, I guess, is my third piece of advice is, uh, and there's, again, there's so much more, but um, one of the most powerful things is to go back and watch yourself. Because, uh, first of all, if you're cringing at yourself, can you imagine what other people are doing? But more importantly, um, you need to see yourself in action. You know, it's, it's, it's like a piece of public speaking advice that, that I give out as well, which is, you know, uh, and I do this now, I, I write the monologue and I read it off a teleprompter, um, which is very unlike me. If anyone has seen me present, I've presented many times at the ANA. There are no notes. You know, I just stand up and I speak from my heart. It's off the cuff. But this was a different skill set for me, which is to be succinct in 350 to 400 words, where every single word counts and matters. But if you don't read that out loud, aloud beforehand, you're going to find yourself being tongue tied, and you're going to find little mistakes that throw you. So it's the same thing, which is practice makes perfect. But also, you've got to take the time to actually go back and, and watch yourself in action and, um, and learn from it as well. Because otherwise, you know, otherwise, you're always going to be immune you know, to your incompetence, shall we say. Yeah, 
absolutely. And I think there's just another thing before we move on is that like, that's where you should be gauging how you're doing, not anybody else. Like that was just always a great piece of advice to me. It's like, do you want to know where you are? Go look, read, listen to something you did two years ago. Now, how do you feel? Like it's, you know, like looking outside of yourself for progress is just a, a fool's errand. Mm. Um, and it's and it's taken, you've got to take the time to pause as well. So like, um, other, otherwise it's just when you, and think, of our brands as well they're always just in execution mode um so like sometimes you gotta you've got to reflect uh and introspect um be and and perspect right like because otherwise you don't get or gain uh that perspective and so sometimes you know it goes back to that point that i was making earlier as well which is i've always you know i've always applied like almost like a like a an innocent or childlike approach to my marketing, you know, to, to my marketing thought leadership, which is, which is I never understood the upfront. I never understood how on earth are you buying one year ahead of schedule, all of these slots and all of these positions when you don't even know what the hell is going to happen to you tomorrow, you know, let alone in a week month, a quarter or a year. And, and just seeing that manifest itself in a year over the last year and a half now, which is, which is, there is so much uncertainty and yet the whole process of, of, of how we do that voodoo that we do so mediocrely, I might add, um, you know, is, is, is a, it, is, it is a purgatory, right? Because mm-hmm. on one hand, we are trapped in short-term hell in terms of quarterly earnings and the short-termism or short-termitis, which is a, something coined in ANA Masters of Marketing, which I put in the book from uh, the ex-Clorox CMO. But on the other hand, you know, it is it is the the opposite of that, which is our planning processes are so elongated, you know, and so uh, um, protracted that, uh, you know, they're not anchored in reality. Um, and then there's a third part as well, which is the North Star, which is really looking far ahead on the horizon to at least have a vision. So, you know, those three things they don't always come to, they're almost like three different dimensions, short, medium, and long-term. And they don't operate linearly. They don't operate based on, on, t- on seconds and minutes. They operate really on three dimensions. And you've got to actually be a three-dimensional chess player in order to make sense of it. Um, that, that's how I visualize it. And to you know, marketers that are listening to this as well, this is not easy. Um, but, but it's worth it if you actually do it right. A thousand percent, a thousand percent. So I'd like to move on to streaming, which is uh, obviously and kind of self-explanatory, a big, big part of living uh, the pivot. So, you know, the pandemic accelerated the growth of streaming video exponentially, just objective fact. But I'm sure there are plenty of our listeners who are still trying to wrap their heads around the fact that, you know, thousands of people are watching other people play video games or, you know, watching a three hour stream or things like that. Um, You know, what are they missing about this new behavior? So, I mean, they're they're missing um, the power of live. Live, you streaming and live are, uh, are joined at the hip. They're synonyms for one another. That's why, with my new talk show, with my new rebrand, 
I am at nine o'clock every night and it is live. So people can comment. And I heard this brilliant piece uh, inside actually through my show as well, which is it's less important being live and it's more important knowing it was live, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, so even if you're live and no one is watching, you know, it's live. And even if there's one person on the other end, that's commenting that you bring into the show, there is a exhilaration and a, um, an edge to it that makes it so much better than being able to go back and edit down and, and edit out the mistakes. Like last night when I'm doing my inaugural show, uh, and, uh, uh, people are listening to this, but but uh, um, Andy Storch was on my show. He just wrote a book called Own Your Career. Uh, he wrote a book called Own Your Career, Own Your Life. Now, he published this book in COVID, and a day later, he had a testicle remove. Uh, he had testicular cancer. Um, and, so, and it was on his uh, episode last week that I announced that I was undergoing open-heart surgery. Uh, and, and on top of all of this, yesterday in my show, his book is behind me on the shelf and it fell over like, like a ghost pushed it over onto the floor. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell that means. <laughs> um, but, but I can tell you one thing it's going into the new intro. Yeah. I'd say so. You don't, you don't, you don't get that. You don't get those moments. If you aren't live. hundred percent. If anything falls off my wall for the next thing, we're just, that's it. Interview over. We'll edit it out afterwards. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what are some of the most creative ways you've seen brands leverage live streaming during the pandemic? You know, creative or, or cringeworthy, however, whatever comes to mind first. Yeah, well, I, I, I would tell you, I, you know, I would tell you that that brand, this is very, very scary for brands. Mm -hmm. It is very scary for them because, because for the very thing that we discussed that you can't hit the pause button or edit it out afterwards because it shows fallibility and vulnerability and, 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 and humanity, you know, as I was saying, authenticity, all of those things. Right, right. Um, and, and so, you know, it's one of the reasons why for the life of me, I cannot understand why brands have not dived into clubhouse head first. Um, but again, we know why, right? We, for all the wrong reasons, because it doesn't have the reach, because it's live, you know, because because it's it's not a quant play at the moment, it's a qual play as well. So some brands have experimented in doing that. And and by the way, you know, I, I, I'm not a clubhouse booster per se, um, but I do. Rex Briggs once gave a presentation at a Microsoft Strategic Account Summit, and he and the, and he stood up and he. And he kind of pointed, uh, he pointed his, you know, it, and everyone was looking at him. He said, no, don't look at the finger. Look at where the finger's pointing, you know? And right. so, and so for me, this idea of, of live has been, you know, it's something that just does not work well with brands, but I think it needs to. And, and I will tell you one thing that, you know, uh, I'll answer the question in a very sneaky sort of way. Uh, one thing I started doing, um, which was, by the way, like people kept on saying, how are you monetizing what you've done? And I was like, I'm not, you know, <laughs> my, my, my little self-deprecating line was, I've never worked so hard in my life and been so happy and yet earned so little money um, in, in this little pivot. But, <laughs> but what I did start to do, because I wasn't interested in year one, but what I did start to do is uh, what I called at the time Corona Corporate, which is start to now create 
white label versions of the show for corporates. So for internal comms and for training and development and capabilities and employee engagement, you know, and onboarding. And my whole pitch there was, what if your next status meeting was a show? What if your next onboarding was a show? What if your next workshop was a show? But I've been pleasantly surprised uh, in how they've lent into it and realized, of course, with live that it is what it is. You know, in fact, in the very first episode that I did for my, for my first client, which is a Fortune 50 technology company, my client was on mute, <laughs> you know? And, and, so, and so what did I do? I had a banner prepared saying, hashtag, you're on mute, you know? And, and, and so, and, and oh, then later in the show, funny. and later in the show, I made the same mistake. I was on mute and I said, <laughs> now we're even, revenge is sweet. But that's what happens is like, when you actually lean into this, what you realize, what do they say? Come on in, the water's warm. It's not mm -hmm. as, as, as frightening as you think it is. And I think this is what consumers, you know, are looking for. Um, and, and so like I answered your question in a, in a roundabout way. Um, but, but, you know, for me, I've always never been that interested in, in what one brand is doing. Um, because, because your brand is different. You have different goals, right. different objectives, but what can you learn from them in a, in a way? Like there was, I think IHOP was in clubhouse one, one day only. And all they did was they opened up a room with bacon sizzling, you know, because, you know, it has a sound, you know, and if you like bacon, then you love the sound of bacon. And mm -hmm. they had like two, 300 people in the room at any given time. I was disappointed that they shut down the room after a day. Like, why not just keep it going and set a world record for 30 days of, of consistent bacon sizzling, you know, on, on perpetual loop. Um, but, but it's, it's, it's a lack of imagination for the most part um, when it comes to being able to, you know, I always say there isn't a use case for this that I have not seen uh, that is possible. You know, so I, I, did a, a, I did one company's holiday show and we did awards and, and raffles and prizes. And, you know, it, it is the epitome of, of what creativity is, which is mm -hmm. ask the question, dream, dream big. Don't give yourself artificial ceilings and frames and parameters and then figure out how to make it possible. And it may not be, but even if by, by exploring that, that process, that journey, you may end up in a different place. Yeah, so I wanna, be, I wanna be clear and I wanna challenge every single brand out there. You should have your own show. This is, a, you know, you really should. This, this is the world of DTC. You've mm -hmm. seen yourself getting disintermediated by, you know, startups and upstarts and products, but you will be disintermediated too by service and by media itself when your consumers are going direct to creators. So if you can't beat them, join them. And, and there are so many brands that have so much actual access and assets and, you know, the ability to connect employees with customers and employees. It's such a golden, perfect, prime opportunity, not just internally, but externally as well. So you just said something that I wanted to uh, expound on a little bit. 
streaming and the you know consumer behavior around it it's eventually going to affect other forms of media like you said when everybody gets back to the studios and when everybody's got all of their bag of tricks it's going to have much less of an effect than it used to um how do you see that kind of playing out in the, the months and years to come yeah so so the thing is is you know what 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 always scares me and what's always scared me i mean what you know my um my survival instinct uh self-preservation in particular is is you know and and something i actually wrote about in built to suck right the survival instinct is based on self-preservation and, and adaptation and, and self-preservation is based on on fear and pain um and so there's always a fear that everyone else is going to catch up that everyone else is going to you know finally get you know the the stupid bowl i mean the super bowl right you know that <laughs> that that everyone that, that there's that you'll be crowded out by i mean I was one of the first marketing podcasters, one of the very first with Across the Sound, which be became Jaffe Juice. And I kind of got disillusioned when NPR got involved and ESPN got involved and all the big, and New York Times and all the big bully brands, media brands, you know, came in with their clout and with their resources. And I made one huge mistake. I gave up. You stopped, yeah. I stopped, Man. I took my foot off the gas and I ran out of gas, even as a thought leader as well. So it's the ability to actually, in this case, be really blinkered, which is keep your eyes on the prize, but also at the same time, you know, I now insert the word servant in, in front of everything. So I'm a servant host. I serve my guest and I serve my audience. I do not serve myself. That's why the name of mm. my show is Joseph Jaffe is not famous, but my next guest is, you know, because I'm being very explicit and cheeky uh, mm -hmm. about the fact that it isn't about me. That is my North Star, and that's what keeps me honest, and that's what keeps me on track. But at the same time, when we think about all of this, what has to keep us all humbled is the fact that it, it's still 24 hours in the day. We still have only one attention span. And the older the get the older we get, the more we suck at multitasking, right? Unlike those twitches uh, out there. And so, you know, it's very important to realize, you know. And I use the phrase. I run a, a room in in Clubhouse every Monday called Brands in Clubhouse, um, which is really just being able to create and make the case for brands in Clubhouse, but just in general brands. Um, and and the thing is, what we have to realize. You know, and it goes back to what we we're talking about uh, earlier, which is we have limited time, and what we choose to do with our time is absolutely paramount. When I walk the dog, I listen to Clubhouse. Why? Because because what else am I going to do? I I want to put something into my ears. I I'm, I can't use my eyes to interact with media because I'm focusing on the road. You know, but my ears represent a captive audience. And so anyone that's going to respect those ears and respect that time is going to be rewarded. But there is so much competition at the beginning mm -hmm. of the pandemic when I got all, you know, when, when, cause, cause Clubhouse is, Clubhouse became a, a, a cultural and a social phenomenon. It, it offered up connection when people were isolated and 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 struggling physically and mentally from a health standpoint, um, but now people are going outside, and it is getting warmer, and they are getting 
their lives back. And that means they're not going to be sitting around, you know, just listening to drivel and, and droning on and self-promotion and, and quite frankly, crap like that. So great quality will always, always win out. But you have to stay humbled and you have to respect your, your customer, your consumer, your listener, your, your viewer, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. And it's so, it's so true that like sitting captive, just anything, distraction, determined, another human's voice was kind of cutting it, but you're absolutely right. This return to the real world, real, really kind of separate the wheat from the chaff. Like, And, and, and consistency is key. And that is the mm. element of, of branding. So whatever you do, just do it consistently, you know, whether it's a sign on or a sign off people, People need that actual familiarity. It's it it's an it's an irony. I had um I had Shingi uh on my on my show uh this week actually I think on Monday, um and he actually said what he's been surprised about in talking to brands is they're not interested in the next big thing at the moment. They're and what their consumers are asking for is nostalgia, uh, mm. and and safety, you know, and uh, and something that that makes them feel uh, safe as opposed to pushing them out of their comfort zone. So it's, as always, it's always a balancing act between what I call, I have a very simple matrix. And this matrix is like my uber strategic matrix. And it's so ridiculously simple. It's, you know, keep the best of the old and reject the worst of the old, embrace the best of the new and reject the worst of the new. And it is as simple as that. And you can apply it for new technology, but you can equally apply it for the, for the old stuff as well. We hope you enjoyed part one of this two-part series on the Marketing Futures podcast. Got an idea for an upcoming guest or topic? Shoot us a note at marketingfutures at ana.net. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. And last but not least, you want insights on the future of marketing? We got insights on the future of marketing. Just head on over to ana.net slash futures.